in a small business, you get to see the efficacy of what you do, right? You come to work every day, you do work, and you can see the needle get moved. That's so much fun, right? And then you go home and you believe that you can make a difference in your community and, and in your family. And, and it's, it, for me, it's just a healthier way to live. Welcome to the Kind Boss Podcast, brought to you by Outsourcing Angel, an Australian-based social enterprise that specializes in helping business owners free up their time and reduce staffing costs, while helping to create employment opportunities for people in developing countries. Visit OutsourcingAngel.com today. Now, let me welcome your host, Lynn Padetti. Hello, kind listeners. I'm your host, Lynn Padetti. Today, we'll be speaking to a kind boss, Brad Farris, Principal Advisor at Anchor Advisors. With close to 20 years of experience helping business owners navigate the pitfalls and joys of growing their business, Brad has lifted startups and moved them beyond their growing pains. Through his programs, Brad helps business owners go from $1 million to $5 million, allowing business owners to sell their business, get out the daily grind, and more time for family and vacation. Listen on as he shares what has led him to help business owners devise better ways of conducting their businesses, increase their profit, and gain back their time freedom. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Kind Boss Podcast. And today I have Brad all the way from Chicago, right? Yeah, that's right. Thanks, welcome, man. Brad. Yeah. So I, I was fortunate to have a chat with Brad recently, and I just couldn't believe like the knowledge he has around growth, how to, how to scale a business. And it was kind of my challenge right now. And I'm like, I need to bring you on. And I really like your journey on how you even became a, doing what you're doing as well. So let's, let's share with that with the audience, actually. I mean, I started life as an engineer and just got frustrated that I could do exactly what the business asked me to do, and still the product wasn't a success. And so I started learning more and more parts of the business and ended up being part of a group that was buying small businesses. And buying small businesses is fascinating because you really learn what people value, right? I mean, when you're going to buy something, you're actually putting a value on the business. And so we would take businesses apart and put value on all the different parts and over that time, I realized that there were a lot of people that were selling their business because they reached a point of growth in their business where they just didn't know what to do next. And, and so they kind of got to the, to the end of their experience or their knowledge, and they didn't know what to do, and so they sold their business. And, and we would buy it, and we'd do those next things, and we'd make a lot of money. And the entrepreneurs weren't so happy with that, usually. And so... I started my business by switching sides of the table and going to work for the, for the entrepreneurs to try to help them to learn those things so that they can continue growing their business and not feel like they need to sell it. Yeah. So from your experience working with so many businesses and buying them, was there a certain kind of time frame when they kind of hit that ceiling? Did you, was it like the first five years, ten years? Like what, what were the time frames? So there were, there were certain places where people got stuck. For service businesses – the first place that people get stuck is around a million, million two. A lot changes in the business owner's life when they kind of hit that million dollar range. They need to pull themselves out of the service delivery and start really leading the business. And they need to start building that middle management team that's going to really serve them so that they can rise up to that higher level. And then interestingly enough, at about 50 people, which is probably around between five and 10 million, 
there's another point where things get sticky and the business owner has to change their leadership style again or, or they get stuck kind of in that that $5 million plateau. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I was very gullible when I first started. I thought, yeah, I'm going to make a million dollars in the first year. You know, like you just always look at this number, million dollars, as your goal for most people. And it just took a lot longer than expected. And why do you think it took so long for the, even the first million? Like I know getting stuck at one million is another problem, but yeah. even getting to a million, like what do you think stops us from getting there? Well, first some perspective. In the United States, at least, if we look at all the businesses in the United States, 98% of all the businesses in the United States have less than a million dollars in sales. So if you can reach it to a million, you're in the top 2% of businesses in America. And so that's a huge achievement. I mean, the, the idea that we could just be in the top 2% of anything, like, what are we thinking? Like, it takes a long time to learn how to do that. For any business, growing over up to that million dollar level, there are so many things we need to learn, right? And so we started out because we were good at a thing, making websites or, or doing PR or whatever it is. But that wasn't enough to grow a business. We had to learn how to lead people and hire people and sell things. And we need to learn about insurance and accounting and, you know, HR. And, and so all of that learning just takes a lot of time. And then the other thing that I think is funny is that, I mean, most of us became business owners because we kind of didn't fit into the organizational structure, right? Yeah, I agree. So I think that the first million is really about overcoming yourself. It's like really... 100%. Yeah. yeah. And then I would say that now the next million is now how to work with other people, how to be better with working in, in your team. Because I think with my next challenge is like I, I got so used to coming up with all the solutions and doing, yes. although I have team members, for you know, up until this year, I realized that my biggest flaw or weakness was that I was still trying to, I, I know the problem, I come with a solution, and then I tell right. the team what to do. Yep, yep. And, and is, that the, what, is that the kind of challenge that you find a lot of business It's owners? a frequent challenge. One of the things that I tell leaders is, as your business grows, you have to get dumber, right? And so instead of fixing things for people, when they come, you say, huh, I don't know, what do you think we should do, right? And nine out of ten times, they've got the solution. They just don't have the confidence to do it, right? And so if, if they come and you, you say, oh, that sounds great, why don't you try that, right? Yeah, and yeah. And then you do that a few times and they stop showing up. They just go do the thing. And, and now, oh, my gosh, tons of great things happen when that starts to happen. Yeah. What would be the stages of business? Because I know you have probably have different names for the different yeah. phases that people yeah. go through. And after I did a little assessment of yours, I realized I was in yeah. the expansion phase. But what right. are the other phases? Sure. Yeah. So every business starts in the startup phase, right? And the startup phase, in my opinion, goes from the day that you start your business until you really find that product market fit. And mm -hmm. product market fit is, is when you have a product and you, you can apply it to a market and they, and they just, the market loves what you have to offer them and, and they're asking you for more and, and you can feel it more than you know it, but you can feel it when people start kind of pulling your product toward them, right? That product market fits. Some businesses never find that, right? And they, mm -hmm. and so they're doing it the hard way all the time that, you know, they're, they're pushing those sales and you can make sales and you can have a successful business without that product market fit. But when you do, that's when things become really exciting, right? Yeah. So then, so that's the, the startup phase. Then the growth phase, once you find that product market fit, is about how do I make this 
this product repeatable? How do I make the service something that, that happens over and over again? Mm. And usually that involves raising your prices so that you can hire better people and make your processes a little more predictable, which means you narrow your market focus, right? You, you want to do the same thing over and over again as opposed to trying to build snowflakes all the time. And so that, that's the process that happens in the growth phase. Once you get that, pro, that process down, then you go into the, the stabilization phase. The stabilization phase, now you've got that you know what it is that you're going to do. It's scalable. You just need to build more and more and more of it. And so there it's about building the systems that support that and the measurements that can help you to see like a dashboard on a car, what's working, what's not working, without having to be down in everything. And then after that comes the expansion phase. Once you have things really laid out like that, that's where you can just pour money on the problem and you can make it grow. And so whether you start acquiring businesses or just growing really, really fast, that's that's sort of like where we all want to end up. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what revenue someone is bringing in, right? Because you could be bringing a million dollars, but you could still act like a startup because you're not mm-hmm. having the, I guess, the, the, product, market the product thing, right? So right. you're saying it's more of how you've structured the business or, or, the, right. your, or how you're running the business? Is that what? And it's really, it's what you said, right? It's, it's hmm. about how we as the business owner are thinking about our business. So yes. in that startup phase, We're experimenting. We're trying to find where is that going to fit together. And then once we find that fit, we're like, oh, I got it. Now how do I do more of that? How do I make that something that's repeatable and profitable and has all the things that we want it to have? And then once we've got that, now we start to pull ourselves out of it. And, you know, how do I, how do I make, how do I replicate that? How do I make that repeatable across? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Now I just remembered my, my question actually. Yeah. At the first million or when we're starting out, like you said, we don't fall, we, we couldn't follow rules. So we, you know, we, we quit our corporate jobs. So we did what we did. And the other thing was also we try to save money. Like for many, many years, mm. I was just thinking that I'll figure out myself and, and do it the cheaper way and, and not really pay for the expert advice. But now one of my biggest regrets is kind of like, or, or the way I do things now is who is the best at doing that? And I rather yes. pay to do it because I basically just waited, wasted so many years because we forget yes. that. That's why, why I think the first million took so much longer because we were trying to save, but we didn't save. When we have more time than money, then we make a decision in, you know, to, to spend that time learning ourselves. And, and, and I think sometimes we think, well, I need to learn how to do it so that I can teach other people how to do it and so I can oversee people. But then we get to a certain point where we have more money than time, and then it's like, how, how do I buy this expertise? Who, who can teach me this the fastest? Who's the best at it? I just want that person and be done with it, right? Yeah, and, and the thing is, even when I started making money, I didn't know how to use it wisely in paying for the right information, if you know what I mean. So I might make more money, but I'm trying more things, doing more things, yes. and still yes. trial and error. So I think it comes down to our mindset. It, ha- it just didn't shift yet. Right? It's just going, okay, well, I'm still having that cheap mindset of like, try this, try that, try that. Right. Once you see things start to come together, then, then you're not experimenting anymore. Then you're like, okay, I got it. Now I know that this is going to make money for me so I can spend money on it, right? For you, you probably got to a certain point where you were like, okay, I know what I need to do is reach this type of person. How do I reach that person? And so then you can find the people that know how to do that 
because you're confident that you can get a return on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I haven't gone through all the phases, but what would you say the hardest phase is? Like, I'm only guessing that the first phase was the hardest because you're kind of like a baby in the world. You don't know anything. And I'm just assuming it would get a bit easier later. But is that really the case or is it like a completely different ballgame? Yeah, you know, I wish I could tell you it was getting easier. I think it's just a different challenge, right? The, the great thing about the startup phase is you got nothing to lose, right? You got no business, right? So you try a lot of things and you, you, you know, you have this courage that, that gets you out there. And then as, as you, as you start to, to see that you have a business that's working, now you get kind of concerned about, well, now what if I screw it up, right? What if, what if I make a mistake and it doesn't work anymore? And so there's a whole different dynamic that comes into play there. And then in the phase that you're in, now you're really trusting your team to do the work. Man, that's super scary, right? Like, yeah, I, I, especially during things like the crisis. And I know a lot of leaders with the bigger business there are, the more things they could have, I mean, the more jobs they, they, they lost or they have to let go of people. And I, I guess what you're saying is that the problem is just bigger. Like if you, if something hits you, you just have more to lose. Yeah. You, but at the same time, you're more insulated from it, right? Like if you have a business that's $5 million and you lose a million dollars, okay, it hurts and you're firing people, and but you're not out of business. Like you mm. would be if you were at a million and you lost a million, right? Yeah. Or, or even if you just lost 25% of a million, that would really hurt. And so yeah. it's, it's a, the problem changes, but I yeah. don't know if it gets easier. But I guess if I had to choose, I would choose the later problem because I think it's more like mentally, you know, when our problems were – much smaller well back then we thought it was big but we just couldn't handle it because emotionally we're not strong yet we haven't got the experience so it's kind of like oh my god doom and gloom and all that and then I guess once you build your character then no matter what problem I'm sure problem is bigger but you're kind of like I've done it before I know it's gonna I can get past it so I'm kind of thinking that I'd rather the person that I am now with a bigger problem than the person I was then with a very small problem is that the same case for you I always tell this story. When I was doing acquisitions, I made a presentation to the to the family that owned our company, mm. and I proposed that they spend seventy million dollars to buy a particular company. And at the end of the presentation, they're like, "Okay, do it." And I walked out of there and I was like, "Holy cow! Seventy million dollars! Why in the world did they say yes to that? That's crazy!" And my boss at the time said, "Well, if they had, if it was a seven million dollar deal, would you be confident in that?" I'm like. Yeah, that, that would be okay. It's just, well, it's just a zero, you know. Wow. So why, why, why is that? What is it that makes that number look so nothing to, to him or yeah? But what he was saying is the thought process to make a seven million dollar deal is the same ah. thought process to a seventy million dollar deal. And if you were confident in that thought process, all you did was wow. add a zero. Like it's the same thought process, right? Jeez. So, so you know, it it is scale adds certain things, but it's also the same. Because you learned what you were doing when you were a million, you can do it at 10 million. Yeah. Like, same thought processes can work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just more people. Want to make a difference in others' lives? Join us in providing food, medical supplies, and daily living necessities to tribal communities living in extreme poverty in the Philippines. For as little as $50, you can feed a whole village and have peace of mind that 100% of your donations goes directly to those in need. Be a part of our OA Love Projects and visit OutsourcingAngel.com. What is your thought on kind of like, so, you know, niching? So, you know, when you started out, you kind of tried different things. Then you get to a comfortable stage where you kind of niche and you know your comfort zone. 
And then to then get encouraged to kind of expand now to think, okay, what else can you add or do? It's kind of a scary thing for me personally as well. I'm going like, I'm scared of distraction or I'm scared of widening up. But then I've met so many more successful people with mm-hmm. you know much bigger businesses and they've got their hands on different things. It's like, yeah, explain to me like how do I get my head around this like focus and then that kind of more so other things. I think there is a, an entrepreneur who really loves the startup phase and when their business starts to grow into that stabilization phase, they itch for that startup phase again. They want that freewheeling, you know, wild kind of life. And they don't want to be sitting on top of a mountain and steering a battleship. And so they go start something else. And that's fine. If that's, if that's the person you are, that's, that's fine. Just don't sit in two ships at the same time. Like that's a, that's a mess. Sell the one, go start another one. It's fine. But as you grow, the other problem, which I think is more the problem that you're talking about, when you get into that stabilization phase, you have to grow the business because you, you've kind of taken up all the oxygen in whatever niche market you started in. And so there's two directions you can go there. One is you can spread wider. So if I started in dentists, I could also look at orthodontics, right? You could go to what are the nearby markets that I can move into. Or if I specialized in in Australia, I might be able to move into the United States. I can move geographically. The other thing you can do is to say, okay, what are the other things that my target market buys that I could sell to them? And so you stay really focused on that niche but you just bring more value into that niche. And so those are two growth strategies that start to become possibilities once you get into that stabilization. Yeah. And, you know, although it sounds simple, it's kind of like going to another niche or going another service and it's within your business. Somehow it just really does feel like it's another business though. Like let's say we add on another service and it's just this new, more process and new thing. And yeah, is that a normal feeling where you just feel like it's a big deal? It feels like chaos. And you have to be really careful because you've got this one successful service. And when you start to add on the other service, when that chaos starts, all the people in the successful service are like, why should we put up with the trouble for that little thing? You know, yes. we're, we're way more important, you know, and they, and they kind of discount it and tell you to quit it and all those kind of things. And they're just doing that because it makes their life complicated, right? But that's, that's the business needs to go there. And so we need to put up with that pebble on our shoe for a while until we can grow it into something that's really powerful. Yeah, trying something new. There's always that transition uncomfortable yeah. stage, so you just got to ride it through. But, yeah, that's when you really and need to work. the bigger your organization is, the more the organization starts to resist, right? The organization doesn't want to put up with it. So looking back at your time when you were buying these businesses for your billionaire boss back then, right? <laughs> yes. It's like, what was it that they were looking for in these businesses? What stood out for, from those businesses? What made them more valuable than others? So this is actually a fascinating question. Most people, when they build their business, they're like, the strength of this business is the people and the relationships, you know, and, and, and we're so much better than everyone else. We know things that other people don't know. None of that people pay any attention to when they buy your business. When they buy your business, they want steady cash flow. That's the thing that matters most to them. And they want contracts to secure that cash flow. So a lot of us, when we start out, we're like, I'm just going to do this on a handshake. No, no, contracts. That's what gives you value when you go to sell. Mm. The second thing, what you know is important. But really, what, how do you own what you know? So what's your intellectual property? What, what patents do you have? What trademarks do you have? What knowledge is stored within the business that nobody else knows? And then 
Relationships are only valuable, again, to the extent that they're a contract. So if your client relationships are, are valuable, is how do you move that value to the new owner? Well, only if there's a contract. If your people are really valuable, what kind of contract do you have with them that makes sure that they're going to move over to that new owner? So, but cash flow is by far the thing that people care about the most. Yeah. And so does it mean that it's just cash flow in terms of revenue coming in or does it really matter the profit? Because someone could be running the business in a non-profitable way because, you know, that's why they're probably selling it because they don't know how to do right. it better. So does right. it mean that it can be forgiven and it's still valuable if they have, a, I guess, like a great team, great revenue coming in uh, or no? No. It's the cash that's available to the owners. What What can the owner take out? Of the business, that's that's what we're. If you think about it, like you're buying a machine that prints money, mm-hmm. what would you pay for for that machine? If it prints a little bit of money, you'd pay a little amount. If it, uh. if it prints a big amount of money, you would pay more, right? And so it's all about that cash flow. Now, sometimes we would find a business like you're talking about, where the business owner wasn't running it very well, but there was something that was really there, and we would kind of try to buy it cheap, knowing that when we got rid of that person, we could clean some things up and get a lot more money out. Of Right. Yeah. And so those were good opportunities for us, but not really good opportunities for the business owner. Yeah. I think by that time, they just want to get rid of it and sell it for whatever right. anyway. They're frustrated. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's, those were the people that, that even today, I feel like I can help the most. When we were buying those businesses, we could see from the outside, you know, you do this and this and this, and this thing's going to be a great business. Right. And so there were just some, straightforward kind of, I don't want to say simple because nothing's simple, but there were some straightforward kind of changes that we could make that, boom, it's making four times as much money. And and when I started my business, that was the plan. I was working with business owners to help them do that and then sell the business, right? And so the couple of times that I did that, we would fix some things, the, the business would be making more money. And I'd be like, like, okay, now we're ready to sell. And they're like, why would I sell it? This is a great business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what do you think the, so what is a typical kind of um, process now for when people are buying business? Like, do they just literally give you the money and then that's it? Or it's always now having the business owner responsible for staying around and kind of, you know, receive a kind of performance based payout? Is that how it works nowadays? When we were buying businesses, the, the way that we paid it out depended a lot on how, how tied you were to delivering that cash flow. So remember, we're buying a cash machine, and if getting the cash out requires a lot of work from you, then we need you to stay around and do that work for a longer period of time, right? And so if you're really essential to the running of the business, if your relationships are what, what bring the, the new clients in or, or, you know, you have some special knowledge, then you're going to get stuck staying with the business for a longer period. If, as you build your business, you start to pull yourself out so that the business can run more without you, then you can sell your business more for cash up front. Yeah, that makes sense. That's very, yeah, very common sense. So, all right, before I go into my next set of questions, I actually want to break it up with a fun activity called High Five. And this is where I'm going to ask you five questions, this or that, your choice. You just choose a multiple choice. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, and then just elaborate your your choice so we get to know you a little bit. Sure. Okay. All right. Number one, tennis or basketball? Oh, man, two sports that I really don't play. I guess I would have to say tennis. I'm terrible at basketball. I'm really terrible. But I'm pretty terrible at tennis, too. So, what, what, Which one would you prefer watching as well? Oh, basketball. Basketball. It would be better to watch. Tennis yeah. is like 
Yeah, I, I, I haven't been to neither in real life. Yeah. Yeah. In real life, the NBA players are huge. Like, on the court, they look like normal humans. But when you're standing next to them, they're giant. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. I can't wait to go to, the, to America just for the basketball game because we're not really big in, in, in Australia for that. And I still haven't been to the Australian Open, which is Open. just around the corner, and I have never been to. All right, number two, resilience or persistence? Ooh, that is a tough one. I'm going to say persistence. One of the things I'm fond of saying is that almost all of my success has come from continuing to do things beyond the point where anyone thought they made sense. Mm. And so I think if you just keep doing something long enough, you're going to succeed at it. Yeah. And I think that resilient kind of build on that, huh? Like after yes. you keep doing it, you just become more resilient because yeah. of consistency. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that answer. All right. Number three, chocolate cake or cheesecake? Ooh, that's a good, I'm going to have to go chocolate. I'm a fan of cheesecake, but Chocolate is always better. Yeah. Cake, you kind of got me there. That, like, that, that'd be the total winner. Cool. Sunrise or sunset? Ooh. I'm going to go sunrise. I'm an early riser. And it's, the, it's, it's quieter. It's like everything is in front of you. Yeah. yeah, I love the sunrise. Yeah, and how often do you go out to see the sun, though? Like, for me, like, I wish I could see it more often, but I don't. On my my front porch faces east, and so uh, I go out there for breakfast a lot of days. And the sun is already up, but you know it's it's shining on my face and yeah, it's warm and all that beautiful. stuff. Beautiful, love it. Yeah. All right, last question: action movies or comedy? If it's if they're both really good, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, assuming they're you know, both good. <laughs> a bad action movie is better than a bad comedy, right? But if they're both really good, then I'll take the good comedy. Uh, yeah, right, like yeah. there's a mediocre action film, I can still get something out of. But if, but a really good comedy, I would go really good. Comedy. Yeah, I think if it's a bad comedy, it's so tacky, it's like you cringe. Oh, no, you can't. It's just rough. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. We definitely got sure. to know you a bit more there. Now, in the next section, I actually want to talk to you more specifically about the help that you can do for business owners. Like I said, you know, the biggest regret I had back then was just not getting the right help. And just trying to save money, right? And I didn't save money. I ended up spending more money and took longer to get there. So what is it that you specifically do that could help people go from different stage? I know actually you do help a certain kind of clientele too. So do share right. with that too. Yeah. Yeah. So my focus is really helping those people who have found their product market fit and they're, they're moving into that growth phase to kind of navigate the growth phase as quickly as possible. And you said earlier that you came to realize that what took you so long was that you realized that you had to change, right? That you were the reason your business wasn't growing. That's really what I help people with. I help people to come to better awareness of how they are the problem in their business, how taking responsibility changes everything. You know, instead of saying, you know, my, my people are terrible. What I would say to them is, yeah. And who hired them and who trained them? And who's been holding them accountable for things? That's all you. So you're terrible. And it's not that you're terrible, honestly. It's just that you need to get better at doing that thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we take responsibility for that and when we decide I'm going to change and that's, that's what's going to make my business change, that's really where I can help people. Yeah. And then so what does your like, – how do you help? Like is it training? How does it actually function? Yeah, how does it practically work? I run mastermind groups where I bring five business owners together. And we meet twice a month for 90 minutes. And in that time, each person gets a chance to talk about what they accomplished since their last meeting, what they're hoping to accomplish 
by the next meeting and what help they need to get there. And what's amazing to me, I used to do this just one-to-one, but when I got people into groups like this, um, by, by seeing the challenges that other people are having, it's much easier to be like, oh, I can see exactly what, oh, yeah, I do that too. And so we learn a lot faster because we watch other people making mistakes that we're also making. And so watching other people work like that, people make change a lot faster. They grow their businesses faster, and they get better results. And so that's, that's the primary way that I help people. There are some one-to-one clients, but primarily it's in, the, uh, it's in the mastermind. Yeah. And do most people come in with kind of like a revenue goal, like, or, or, or do they come in because it's like there is a, a pain, a challenge that they're like needing help with that do you feel, yeah? I think for most people it's like the folks that I was buying businesses from back when I was buying businesses. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like, I've tried all my ideas and now I need to try somebody else's ideas. Like there's a certain level of like exhaustion. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen this in your own, like, I just don't know if I can do this one more time. Right. And, and that's when getting help is worth it. That's when, that's when we're more open to making changes. And so, and it's not that their business is bad. Their business is great. It's just, they know there's something more there for them and they, and they need to come and get it. And so again, most of my clients have, have passed that million dollar threshold and they're trying to get to that three to five million dollar place. Yeah, love it. And I really love that you've got the experience on the other side of buying business, so you know the value and what they need to do. You're kind of the in you've showing them the right. end destination. Right. So, so I've, I've been where you haven't been before. I've been over the mountain, and I think <laughs> that's excellent. So, how can people kind of work with you? What's where to from here? So, uh, if you just want to find out more, you can go to AnchorAdvisors.com. But I, I have built an assessment at anchoradvisors.com slash growth dash phase. So anchoradvisors.com slash growth dash phase. Mm-hmm. And there, it's a quick assessment. It's like eight or ten questions. I can't remember. But it really helps you to, to see where you are in those stages, in the, in the startup phase, the growth phase, the expansion phase, and stabilization phase. And then it gives you some feedback about what you need to do next in order to continue that growth. And so that's the best tool for helping people to kind of figure out where they're at and what they need to do next. Yeah, I love that tool. And it was really quick for me to fill it out. And But the answer that spit out there, it really made sense. And like I was talking to you last time that I'm at the stage where I do know what I need to do, so I'm going to do it. But when I do feel stuck... You're the man I'm going to. All right, I <laughs> but, can't wait. Uh, but, yeah, I was surprised your assessment, the advice that you've just given in the answers were, like, spot on, that I was like, oh, I just figured all this out recently. Well, that's really rewarding. <laughs> I, you know, one of the first people that went through the assessment, and at the beginning you're like, I think this is going to work, but he, he went through and his email back to me was, that was spooky. <laughs> all right, so, and, and apart from there, I think you're all very active on LinkedIn, right? So people can find I you. I am. Yep, you can yeah. stop by LinkedIn and search for Brad Ferris, Brad and Ferris. I shake yeah, them awesome. up. All right, well, I have two questions before you go. One is, what does the kind boss mean to you? The kind boss. So, to me, I want to have my team's best interests in mind, whether their best interest is working for me or working somewhere else. And so I'm always looking to help them to grow their skills and their career to wherever it is that they want it to be. And if, if they want it to be somewhere else, great. Then let's, let's help you to get there. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's so unselfish of you. You're basically 
making them become a better person, better asset for whether it's your, and 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 you're you're showing me that you're not possessive. You're kind of like if you love working with me, the feeling's mutual and you can stay. But if you don't, yeah, that's really nice. If if you make it easy to leave, then it's easier for people to join. Yeah, right? like they they don't feel like they're going to be stuck and they can't get out, right? And so if I make it easy for you to go to go on, and then you know. People who are alumni and go work somewhere, it's way more likely that they're going to hire us and refer us and, you know, bring us good people. So it's all good. Yeah, so nice of you. Okay, so my last question is, what do you want the world to remember Brad for? So my mission in life is to make running a small business easier. I'm trying to leave behind a a curriculum or a, a way of doing things that makes it easier to succeed as a small business owner because, to me, would you rather work in a small business or a big business, right? Like big businesses are not nice places to work by and large, right? Mm. In a small business, you get to see the efficacy of what you do, right? You come to work every day, you do work, and you can see the needle get moved. That's so much fun, right? And then you go home and you believe that you can make a difference in your community and and in your family. And and for me, it's just a healthier way to live. So, you know, if people can say that, oh, my gosh, we created this business community that then impacted people's lives. That's that's really where I'm trying to go. That just melted my heart. Really, really love it. <laughs> and you, I can just hear your sincerity and your love and passion for small business because you understand the effort and the pain and the uh, suffering they go through. And sometimes we don't see. It's really true. Right? Yeah. And sometimes we just don't even see the other side. And, and people might give up on their dreams. And, yeah. So thank you so much, Brad, for your time. Oh, it was super fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this interview has inspired and humbled you to be a kind boss. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and let us know what you think about our show. If you have any questions, please visit OutsourcingAngel.com. Until then, stay kind and spread love.